Hey, you found us. Welcome to Comfortably Uncomfortable, Not Another Running Story. I'm Megan Fanning, and I'm joined by Sean Meehan. We created this podcast to continue the real conversations that we have when we get outside to run, bike, surf, climb, or whatever it is that you do. We love the real conversations when boundaries come down, because really, that's when it gets interesting. (laughs) (laughs) We got fucking a new YouTube channel launching. Do you like stickers? We got stickers. Subscribe. We'll send you a sticker. Subscribe to what, Sean? To our new YouTube channel. Check it out. We have a new YouTube channel? Endurance Now. Dot YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking check it out. That's Zen. Has in the Zen that Megan's using right now not to lose her shit. Endurance. As in like endurance, which you'll need. To listen to this shit regularly at YouTube. Cause that YouTube? YouTube. <laughs> Boom. Oh yeah, stickers. Fucking stickers are awesome. Everybody loves a sticker. Hey Sean, how's it going? Hey Meg. Are we actually going to use this promo here to start Hey? Well, Hey isn't a promo. Hey is a greeting. Are we going to start with the greeting Hey? To I promo don't know. Our new episode? I don't know. Dude, so. I don't know how. It's, I don't do small talk. We say that in the, we say that in the intro, but then we've been sitting here talking for, what, 40 minutes? And luckily, now all of a sudden, it's like, hey. It's all recorded. And you can yes. save it for posterity. Prosperity. So fucking, it's Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day to your husband. Yes. And thank you for your service. Oh, yeah. Good times. Um, anyways, so we were talking about the stupid shit going on in my life. And yeah. injuries so, and pain and suffering that I am dealing with. Um, you are You are on the struggle bus, yes? Yeah, for for real. I've been. Um, you know what I have to say? I want to just interrupt you for just a second. It's I don't wish ill on you and I don't wish suffering on you, but it's nice, at least for this episode, where I'm not Humpty Dumpty. I'm not the one that's broken because there's so much talk about, oh, yeah, you know, I'm injured. I broke this. I broke. This. I always feel like Humpty Dumpty. So today. You yeah, we'll talk about get to be on the struggle bus. Not that I want you there, but you know. Yeah, so three weeks ish now. I noticed I had um an infection rash starting about three, three and a half weeks ago. Um went and talked to some urgent care about it. They said it was fungal. I did not feel that i went in there with the idea that it was probably staff or some other variation of that they i told you that you had cooties they they assured you need you need a cootie shot it wasn't circle circle dot dot now you got a cootie shot did you do that in elementary school like yeah but but cooties are like a legit thing right like cooties are technically like bed bugs right isn't that what they are yeah yeah bed bugs scabies like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah anyways 
So Alrighty. I went in there and they and they were like, and I was like, ah, I don't think that's but like they gave me antifungal and I used that. And because even if you have a bacterial infection, your body, because it's an infection, will continue to try and fight it, right? Like, um, and it continuously, like, it like would kind of clear up a little bit. It would get worse. It would clear. And so I went back, and this is to urgent care again. And I was like, look, at, this is kind of like not really working, I don't think. Um, and they're like, no, no, no. If they, if, if it's antifungal. Now, mind you, they didn't take a culture. They didn't do any freaking testing. And so I was like, this is fucked up. Um, and so I reached out to a dermatologist and, and she took care of me. It was like, oh, yeah, that's like 100 percent like a freaking bacterial infection um, and prescribed me everyone's favorite antibiotic doxycycline. And I got a good old two weeks. Doxycycline? Doxycycline, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, a good old a good old round of doxy. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know. I was like talking to another another friend that's dealt with um, some pretty aggressive Lyme. And they were like, there's a possibility you have Lyme on top of it. Like, and that's mm -hmm. why the staff was so prevalent and like so hard for you to like fight off. Um, okay, that's staff. what I was going to ask you. And I may be jumping ahead, but I was going to ask you like for you to have a systemic infection like this your immune system is really low so yes lime would make sense or the other thing i'm thinking which i'm sure you're going to talk about is you've been really stressed like you've been you know you've been going at an extreme pace so i'm wondering if all the life stress may have contributed it to it uh, is what i'm trying to say so i mean there's there's a possibility but like as soon as it like really flared up i had to i had to stop going to the gym right like i couldn't because i wouldn't want to infect any of my other partners, any of the other people that like are part of the gym. Um, Does it hurt when you get sweat in the, in the different cootie sores? Um, it not really like it was itchy, kind of burny, but what I really make seriously, what I really noticed is after about two weeks of, of dealing with it is I like felt fucking sick. I didn't have a fever. Like I mm -hmm. wasn't like, I didn't have sepsis or anything like that, which is what you can, what can the long result of prolonged staff can be. But I felt, I felt like really, really shitty. Um, and, uh, and I was getting super depressed like that. I felt, Hey, there's like a physical ego side of it like there's a physical appearance to it that that makes you feel super creepy mm -hmm. um the other side of things is like there's regardless of like how you like what your like cleanliness is which i don't have like poor hygiene but like there's that like side of things that like you feel like oh maybe mm -hmm. i like need to clean more and like have poor height like it, and i don't like i shower every I shower every day after the gym like i sh like and sometimes in the morning before work it right doesn't it doesn't matter. have anything to do with that yeah 
But like your skin, your skin is an organ and it's, you have a systemic infection if you have it all over your body. So it makes sense that you felt awful. Did you try to just work through this? So once, so for the, the two weeks that I was on the antifungal for, for those doctor's orders or nurse practitioners, that's, I kind of was like, all right, well, I can't go to the here. Maybe I'll try and run through it. Maybe I'll try, like I did some skiing. I tried some biking, but I just continuously felt like shit. Um, Could be the meds and- too depending on what antifungal you were on. So it was a topical antifungal. I wasn't on. Oh, um, okay. All right. Oral. Not, okay. Like if I was on the oral, like that becomes a whole freaking different mess. Um, but anyways, so working through just trying to just trying to like deal with that. And then um, I, to tell you like day two of like doxy, everything was 110 percent better. Mm-hmm. Um, it was yep. it was wild. Um, and like I said, back to the whole like maybe I have Lyme if like I have Lyme or some other immune issue, bacterial based. Like the doxy will help with that too. <laughs> Did you get go. tested for Lyme? No, because it, no, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like wanted to take care of what we were dealing with, right? Like. Um, and if like, and the, 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 I guess the remedy would be the same, right? Like I'd be taking doxy for the Lyme anyways. Um, but yeah, when my back was then jacked up and so, so I've been kind of just, just in a fucking bad mental space, but yesterday, um, my back felt good enough that I could go out and ride. I went and rode some trails um, and then went and saw Tool last night. Which was, oh, you did? Yeah, was fucking awesome. Um, closest thing, closest show that I've been to concert to what hallucinogenics are like. Really? Yeah, wild, fucking wild. Like sound, visual. Um, cool. Yeah. Just you, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was a cool, cool experience. I had a good time. Um, they were amazing. There was also, geez, fucking opening act was so wild. Um, the opening act is this dude, Steel Beans. Um, he's in a one man band that plays like a full drum set with a keyboard and a guitar all at the same time while singing. It's, it's like, half half cool half freak show you're like i don't know how i feel about this um <laughs> like it probably songs would probably be better if it was played by separate people but still pretty weird and wild that he can do it all by himself um yeah i don't know uh that was yeah so that was last night anyways but i guess the important thing is that that everything's trending better. I'm very fucking impatient and I want to be a hundred percent and going back at it. And I don't know. I don't know how long, like it will be till I feel a hundred percent. I feel, like I said, I feel a thousand times better than I did 
And like anything, like when you kind of have things starting to make their way and under control, you kind of have a little, a little bit of hope, and that that kind of goes a long way. So, well, I was thinking back to the DNF episode a couple weeks ago when we were talking about your New Hampshire Jigger Johnson race, and I remember what you were telling me you were doing afterwards, and you were like, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, after you've done all these races over the summer, you're like, yeah, and I'm going to do MMA, and then I come home, and then I lift weights, and then I, I mean, you, you were like, and I was like, Sean, I think you should take a nap. I mean, as coaches, you know, we frequently joke, do as I say, not as I do, which is why coaches need coaches. But you just sound like you're spread too thin between work, you know, family, health issues, and your body is just kind of just run down. I mean, you ran your immune system a little bit lower over the summer you know, given, given everything you did, this should be, you know, like when you ski, when I say resting, I don't mean like you have to sit on the couch, you know, every day and, and take naps. You could use one probably, but that's when you ski. That's when you just go out and ride your bike and see how you feel. And if you feel good, you know, do the extra couple miles. If you don't, you go home. But I think allowing yourself some leeway. And like I said, I'm used to being the broken one, you know, I just feel like I have this label on me that, you know, because I'm constantly working through stuff. So I'm familiar with it because I've been here, you know, I've been here for a little while. But I think with you, you have been, you know, you've been gung-ho and full force and relatively healthy. But your body is telling you, listen, we're tired. And it took it took a, you know, systemic staph infection to get you to chill out. Well, the body always eventually gets what it wants. It does. It does. But I think what I'm trying to say is, so that level of, so let's, I'm just going to call it fatigue. Okay. That level of fatigue after all of your racing this summer, I'm wondering that if you had maybe chilled out just a little bit more, I'll put it that way. Okay. Um, that you would have come into contact with this staff and you might have, you know, gotten one spot on your arm or, you know, wherever, you know, wherever it landed or your immune system would have been strong enough to fight it. You know, had you been, you know, had you been like, I'm going to call you your normal self. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe. I, You know, I don't. You can't. You can't rewind my, 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 it and my, see what it is, but. But we can rewind the podcasts <laughs> to when I went, Jesus that's a lot. You need to take a nap. I can remember saying it in that episode going, you're doing a lot. Because again, it's not like you're a single dude that doesn't have any other commitments, right? You're, you know, wife, kids, family stuff, back and forth from Connecticut to Vermont. I mean, you're, you're doing a lot. You may have to, you may have to embrace slowing down every once in a while. This is, this kind of just a hard way to learn it. I think that's what you would tell one of your athletes anyway. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Yeah. But again, but that's why coaches need coaches. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I've been at. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, 
the long and short of it is like I'm forced to slow down. It's funny because all all kidding aside, um, I was I'm like looking at like what I've been doing. I was like, oh, this is probably like how most normal people, and I mean that by like mm-hmm. not endurance athletes, not people training mm-hmm. for events, just like a normal person that would be relatively fit. Not saying like a regular healthy person, not yeah. a, not a crazy endurance athlete like people look at us and assume, you know. Yeah, or I mean even it's like someone that's like trying to run competitive like whatever, like just someone that would be mm-hmm. a casual healthy person. I was like, "Oh, that's kind of what my last in my sickness, that's what my last like three weeks have been. Yeah. Like just, running, running 10 miles a week, maybe like biking right. and skiing a little bit. Like, it's like, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, is that what, no, I don't know. That's what normal people do. That's what I think. That's what I think you should be doing. This is your off season. This is what we, I think, you know, we've had podcasts on recovery. This is what, this is what we tell people. And I have to say, I think that, I think that we're phenomenal coaches, but, and we, we give great direction, but you can't go hard 100% of the time. And it's important to factor in your personal commitments. Because I think that if you, like I said, if you were single, you probably would have been able to get away with this, but your life is not, is not fully your own. So yeah. I look forward to skiing more this winter. Yeah. I think that it will be good for your soul. It won't be good for my knees, but good for my soul. Does it hurt your knees? Oh, fuck it so much. Really? So much, yeah. 100%. Hmm. It's super bad for my knees. Uh, like, I do it because I really do love it. Um, I tell people, people are like, oh, your knees are, don't they hurt from running? You know that shit? And you're like, no, they don't. My knees don't bother me at all running. At all. But. Two hard days of skiing, my knees hurt a lot. Mm. Yeah. Quads, get, quads get super tight. I mean, my knees don't glide. I'm working, I'm currently in process working with a PT to try and get more mobility out of my knees. Because um, of the damage that I did to them as a kid and with football helmets to knees and cracking kneecaps and mm-hmm. just fucking getting older, you know? When you have no cartilage behind your knees, it becomes hard to to have them glide over. Yeah, that makes sense. And then looking at it, I think the healthiest I felt and the most mobile I felt was when I was doing yoga once or twice a week, like legitimately doing yoga. Um, And I think I really have to integrate that back into. Do you still have Peloton? So I hate doing yoga on a screen. Oh, um, okay. All right. Okay. Because I was going to say, I'm a yoga snob and yeah. they have some great teachers, especially um, for beginners and people who, because you can say a pose and I know what it is, you know, yeah. but. Yeah. And and I can, and like, I know I've been to, I'm not a yoga snob, like, but like I've been to enough yoga that I like can understand what we're doing, but it's Seeing something 
in front of you and having someone see what you're doing and make corrections are like three different things that you can't get necessarily when you're on a watching a screen. Cause you can't, if you're in downward dog, you can't see what the fucking screen's doing. Right. Like it's, but for me, because I've done it so long, I can think, okay, I'm in down dog. Um, lengthen my neck, um, turn my armpits in, um, reaching my hips up to the sky. You know, I can, I can go through all those cues because I've been doing, and I can correct it. But again, and this is something, I mean, I literally do this every day, you know, right. so but it's a little it, bit different. It, and even that, it, even with someone I think that does it and knows the cues, right? Like if for some reason, cause like I don't do it every day, right? The the length of time from when I last was doing yoga as a regular practice. And that's still not the way a yogi does. Um, whatever practice, that is, right. Like <laughs> whatever, like, 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 you know, more than once a week. Right. Um, when I was regularly doing it like once a week, even then, like the, from now, from then till now, if there's like a strength dis- discrepancy that exists that like, I can't yeah. feel the difference, right? Like I can't feel that my left hip has dropped a little bit compared to my right hip or like that my toes are slightly pointed See, out. And I have that level that. of proprioception. Yeah. yeah I, I, I Advice since you didn't ask me when you're going to yoga classes, especially as an endurance athlete, what I advise is go to slow flow classes. Okay. Avoid the power classes. Now, there's a caveat to that. You can do a slow power flow, okay? But the reason I like a slow flow class as opposed to a traditional power class is because they're moving through the poses slower. I find it to be harder, and I find it better to... um, to access what you were just talking about, the proprioception that's needed to lift my, you know, lift the left hip, lower the right, you know, those type of, those type of directions. And people tend to think that slow flow is going to be easier. It is not. So, you know, think about it like you're going down, instead of just lowering down into a push-up, take you, you know, a second, half a second, however long it is, imagine doing it to a count of five. You know, so you can really focus on holding your shoulders down, you know, engaging your core, th- those kind of things. Um, so slow flow. And then if you do a slow power flow, um, then it's then it's just a lot harder. You're going to have a lot more push-ups. You're going to have a lot, you know, going into lunges. It's It just ups it a little bit. See, that's because for that stuff, for power, it's not. I, that's not an area that I typically suffer in, right? Like, cause when I always feel like every time I go to like a power yoga class, there, there moves it because I'm a guy. This sounds awful. Maybe, I don't know. Like a lot of it's like upper body work. Yeah. I know where you're going, and, but, and, but yeah. And that's not as, not as bad where, but I'm going to be wondering, I think I need like right now, I think I just need yin. Like I just need something. Yeah, super Look, fucking gentle. That's like my point right there. You so so avoid the power because you don't need it. Your your body doesn't need to be stronger. What you need is better alignment and better mobility. So yes, yin would be yin would be better for you. Um, but 
if you're flipping, you know, people flip through these power classes. And I think a lot of times, like there's even like a cardio versions of yoga. And I just don't need my heart rate to be up. <laughs> my, my heart rate's up enough in life. You know, I get enough, I get enough cardio. So I, I really appreciate the strength work in the mobility and the teaching that can happen in the slower classes that can happen in yin and in yin yoga for, we didn't describe what this is. Yin yoga is when you go into easy to moderate yoga poses and hold them for, I'm going to say a minimum of three minutes. Um, you can hold them as long as you want. I've been in classes where we've held poses for 10 minutes or more. Um, but a normal yin class is going to be like three to five minutes ish. And what they ask you to do is hold the pose and, you know, they'll help you line up and get supported and all that good stuff. But then this is the hard part. You have to go into the discomfort and it allows you to be comfortably uncomfortable. Get it? Did you like that little pitch there? Um, but really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm slick. But <laughs> it allows you in all seriousness to be uncomfortable, but not in pain and trying to walk that line of, okay, this is hard, but it's not causing damage. That's what yin yoga taught me when I started doing it 15 years ago. Um, because as a, I think I was doing triathlons at the time, I would try to go to power yoga classes at the end of the day and I was flipping exhausted and I was just exhausting myself even more and even more. But what I didn't realize, like, think about the yin and the yang, right? right? You need both sides. So you need the black and the white and you have a lot of yang energy, which is, you know, fast moving, intense. Um, but you need the yin, you need the flip side where you slow down and experience and let whatever it is that's going on with you move through your body with awareness. Okay. When we were prepping for this podcast, didn't I say, I don't feel like talking about yoga today. I don't have anything to say. We and did. There, we you, did. You did. Well, I told you I we were going to get into it just because of like where I felt my life was going. Yes. Well, yoga, yoga about you. I think I could talk for a while, but for me, you know, my, my practice is, is me just learning and you know, all that silly stuff. But, but yeah, so, um, Find some, find some yin classes, find some slow classes, just do whatever you can to slow down. Yeah, I do. I, and I've been to some, um, some yin classes where it's like a hundred bolsters and blocks. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's really what I want. I just want to be taken care of like a. and it's funny because those classes kind of bug me. Um, I don't want to like muss with all the props and stuff. I just want to just get into the pose and hold it. I kind of get, yeah, but but, but the support is nice. It's mobility. nice. I did some like YouTube yoga the other day, and as a runner and endurance athlete, typically my mobility is pretty bad. Anyways, I just and this was just trying to like loosen my back back up and feel normal so I could go out and do some shit and my mobility was so bad like when I can recognize how bad my mobility is like I was like oh that's really horrible I'm like why and I I don't understand um I'd be interested to hear what your insight on this because I I really don't understand why 
like my hamstrings are extra tight and I'm like, but why are my hamstrings tighter than they would be when I was running a bunch of miles? My, my glutes are like, like everything is way too, like I haven't done a whole heck of a lot for three weeks, like I said, um, but everything is so much tighter than it has been. And my, like I said, my mobility is way worse than it has been. It was, it's weird. Well, you, you skipped recovery. You know what I mean? You skipped recovery after, after Jigger Johnson. Okay. And you went right into, I'm lifting weights and I'm doing WWE and <laughs> MMA. <laughs> um, oh, WWE, you know, yes, you okay. or smashing they, tables. Boom. Yeah. Um, but you skipped recovery. So typically with, you know, that our, as endurance athletes, we tend to be quad dominant, right? And it's really hard for us to activate our glutes. We, we see that all the time, especially in longer distances. So what I'm thinking is that you just probably did some damage over the summer and you're feeling it now. You're manifesting it now. So it's probably based in your fascia. You probably had little fascial adhesions that that healed funky. And what I mean by funky is fascia, fascia is this wonderful system inside your body. It's, I don't know a nice way to explain it, but you know, when you're, when you have like a piece of chicken and you cut into the skin, that little layer that's right below that in the muscle. Yeah, right? no, I know. I mean, I know what fascia yeah. is. If you're... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to, I know you know what it is, but I'm trying to explain it. So, so anyway, that layer that little layer should be smooth. It should slide and glide. And when we get little adhesions in that fascia, I just call it funked up fascia for, for lack of a better way to say it, but the fascia gets tight. The fascia, think about scar tissue forming. Yeah. Okay. This is the formation of scar tissue. So what you really need to do is probably not be just stretching and working on mobility because when as athletes, when something is tight, our first idea is, ooh, let's stretch it because it feels good. I mean, when we do it, our nervous system goes, oh, yeah, because it's a little bit of overstimulation. But it, think about damaged tissue. Damaged tissue could look like an old T-shirt. Okay, think about pulling apart an old T-shirt. It's just going to tear because it's so thin and worn. Or think about the fascia looking like like really old and gnarly beef jerky. And when, and this is for lack of a better way to say it, that's probably where you are. You probably have a lot of like beef jerky type scar tissue built up. So when you try to stretch it, what happens? Your body is like, uh-uh, no. And it literally can't move because these adhesions have formed little bits of scar tissue. Yeah. I, 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 you're probably, that's probably a fair assessment. I have, um, and I do, keep up pretty good with body work. So like, yeah, I regularly see a pretty regularly see That's a massage therapist. Yeah. Um, I pretty regularly like spend time with, you know, a Theragun or on, on the roller. Mm -hmm. um, and so doing that I in do concert that. with the stretching yeah. is perfect, but runners tend to want to, anytime anybody's injured, they're like, Oh, how do I stretch it out? How do I work it out? I'm like, don't stretch it. Yeah. No, do 100 stretch injured the, tissue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so when you're like to, to release, but for sure, if, if sure. you're doing any kind of forward folds, whether you're sitting with your, you know, sitting on your butt with your legs out straight in a straddle, whether you're standing, doing a forward fold, bend your knees, bend your knees, 
yeah, well, I, don't, I don't have an option at this point, Megan. That's how okay. my mobility is. Like, <laughs> okay. given, given, even if I had the option, like, yeah, it's just, it's just not and, and just know that I remember when I went through my yoga teacher training, 15, my first one, 15 plus years ago, um, I remember being in this class. It was like a year long thing. And with all of these incredibly beautiful people, you know, men and women, and so fluid, and they could move into these deep poses. But I felt like I wanted to have a sign on that says, I'm an endurance athlete, <laughs> because our bodies are tight for a reason. That tightness gives us stability. That tightness is what allows us, like if we step on a rock or something, that we don't turn our ankle and, and break our ankle. However, when we get too tight, that's that's where the problems start to come up. You know, it's funny. I was um, talking to the PT about that, about right we are talking about earlier, about knee glide and how we're, I'm working with the PT over the knee glide. And I was like, well, part of that is my stability from like my quads like help lock that knee in there it's detrimental to what i'm trying to do now but in certain aspects it like almost provides a stability benefit and it has to i mean it yeah, the, makes the fact sense. is the fact is my knees are jacked regardless but that that quad stability and strength do serve a purpose in right. certain aspects so. right yeah, it's it's that that B word again. It's like finding that finding that balance. And there are certain poses that I'm pretty sure like yoga poses that I maybe until the end of my life, if I did yoga every day, all day, I would just never get into. My body does not move in that particular manner. And that's fine. But we need to stop thinking about yoga as a competitive sport. Yoga isn't like the deeper you go into the pose, the better. Yoga is finding what your line is and staying right before that line so we're not injuring ourselves and because as soon as we as soon as our body feels that tightness feels that pain the nervous system gets activated and it tells our body don't do that don't do that you're going to get hurt and it tightens up even more that's why yin yoga is kind of cool because if you're holding a pose for an extended period of time when i teach and i always tell people go into the pose at like 25 percent uh, then over time, allow yourself to fall deeper. Don't max out within the first 10 seconds of the pose because then you're just going to be battling, battling your nervous system and tight tissues. And that's, it's such a wild thing, right? Like I said, I tweaked my back earlier in the week um, and I've been dealing with that. It's, it's so wild because there's in movement, there's anticipation in movement and your muscles guard against that like perceived like even if the the issue is then resolved itself whatever it is like whatever the tweak is like has resolved itself your muscles still guard until they feel confident that you're yeah. okay and it yeah. and and sometimes yeah. that resolves quickly sometimes it resolves really slowly that was the nature of why I needed to have my lower leg rebuilt because there was so much scar tissue and my body was working so hard to protect itself from further injury that it tightened up, you know? So some of it I have to accept other stuff I can work through. So, well, yeah, that's where, that's where I'm at yoga wise. Well, in your downtime, 
this this is a nice segment where I'm so uncool that I just have to announce when I do something good, which <laughs> which really when I announce it, it's like, Meg, you're a dork and you didn't have to announce it. You could have just let it go through. Um, we have a what to watch segment and you are bringing one thing to watch and I have something to watch. So in your downtime on the couch, um, I'm going to recommend that you watch the movie Diana Nyad on Netflix. I live under a cultural rock. I don't watch much TV and I, I don't know, I miss things. And my daughter, my 13 year old said, oh, there's this cool movie on this swimmer I really want to watch. And for those who don't know, Diana Nyad is an endurance swimmer. She's been an endurance swimmer, I think all her life. And (laughs) I'm trying to describe the movie without spoilers. I knew what happened. I knew how this, this, ended this adventure she was on, but her goal for 35 years, think about that, 35 years, was to swim from Cuba to Florida, which is, I think, hundred. it was either 103 or 106 miles. Shark-infested water, jellyfish, the works. And this movie is not a documentary. It's an actual movie. So Annette Benning plays Diana Nyad. And Jodie Foster plays Diana Nyad's best friend. And and then there's, you know, a number of other characters, you know, crew captains and, and people in their lives. But it goes through the story of what she went through trying to reach this goal of swimming from Cuba to Florida. Now, I'm a decent long distance swimmer in the sense that I can go for a while Wrapping my head around swimming 100 plus miles, getting stung by jellyfish, worried about sharks, the temperature, that, you know, getting stuck in storms made my mind explode. Okay. Like I, just watching this movie. Did you see um, Free Solo, you know, with yes. Alex Honnold? Okay. Just so he's climbing. Um, El Capitan um, without ropes. And I knew how that ended. Okay. And I went to see that movie with our friend, Sarah, and we went, you know, we drove into Boston and actually saw it in the movie theater. And I swear to God, like we both knew that Alex made it, but watching that movie was such an intense point of stress because seeing him like almost fall and almost die, even though we knew he did it, was still like both of us were like, oh my God, you know? And that's what my daughter and I felt like we were on the edges of the couch. Like, I think I had my hand on my chest. Like I knew how this adventure ended. She's, she's trying to reach this goal of, of swimming. I'm not going to spoil it for those who don't know what happened, but she's trying to reach the goal. But what she endured and, and the, the risk of life in the name of obtaining something like this, you know, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. And the other really important message in this movie, and I know you and I get this because we've done enough endurance events is like, she tried to do this goal. I'm going to say sort of on her own, like independent. Right. And it just fell flat. Like she was, she, cause she, she tried a number of times again, no spoilers, but the interesting turn of events was when she finally got her entire team on board and she was so focused on this goal that she was not listening to her team. 
Like they were telling her, you need to wait. You have this current issue. You need to do something about the jellyfish. They're giving her all these things. And she was just so gung-ho doing it her way. But then when she actually let everybody else around her in, the dynamics of this team changed so dramatically. And being able to see that shift, because I know I get that like laser focus. When I am meeting a goal, come hell or high water, that's what I'm working on. And Sometimes it will be like a friend of mine that's like, hey, Meg, are you eating enough? Or, you know, somebody will say to me, "Eh, did you get enough sleep last night? Are you those type of issues? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But again, that's how we get injured when we look at it like through tunnel vision. Um, I have always I mean, I followed all of, you know, I've been following her for years and her endurance adventures. Um, But I guess I just didn't really wrap my head around how hard it would be to swim those waters. And I stand by, I stand by this, somebody fight me on this. I stand by that I believe she is the toughest person on the planet. I say that she is tougher than David Goggins. I say that she's tougher than anybody else that you can bring to the table. I'll fight you on it. Watch the movie. Tell me what you think. Well, I'm going to ask a question because I it, you're like, no spoilers, but I think like, no, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. to. Be I think it's kind just, of already laid out like, but it's not. Don't that, don't ruin it. Just let them watch. Let them watch. Just just talk around it. I'm trying because I, I don't even know. My question has to do with the yeah. controversy that existed after she. After. Whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Do they address that in the movie? No, t- talk about the contra. Well, so the controversy no. yeah. was, and this is this. If you don't want to hear this, is this is probably yes. A okay, so yes. Okay, so warning. Tune, tune fast out. Fast forward. Yeah, tune tune out now, and then we'll we'll let you know when we're coming back. So if you haven't watched the movie, don't know what happens. Fast forward. Okay. Spoiler alert. So after she she completed the swim, the controversy was that she actually covered more ground in the kayak or in the boat than she did um, like actual swimming. She never touched the boat. She never touches the boat once there is, they show it and like there, there's one point where there is this huge, awful storm and she's literally like, she she almost drowned. It was very painful to watch. She does not grab the boat and nobody touches her throughout her entire thing. She never gets in a kayak, never gets on the boat. She was in the water the whole time, never a flotation device. The, the thing that she used, which I think somebody could argue is an advantage, was when she finally was able to reach her goal of of completing this swim, she did wear a wetsuit, but it was based in protection because she was getting such severe stings. And she had to actually be given two epi shots at one point um, because a jellyfish tentacle had wrapped around her face and yep. the medic tried to jump in and he, he ended up getting stung. And but the but the jellyfish were so bad. So she does have a wetsuit on and she has this thing on her face. It's actually a little frightening. It almost looks like a horror movie mask. It's this translucent, whitish, thick, protective thing over her face. So if she ran into a jellyfish, um, she wouldn't go into anaphylaxis again. But she never touches a boat and nobody touches her. 
All right. There, because I remember there was some controversy. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm misremembering it, but uh, essentially about um that there was I don't know, I um I if she didn't touch a boat then yeah that would make uh, that's what I, I thought it was but maybe it's something else and if someone else knows okay so at one point she did um she did attempts and I don't know how to explain this imagine her swimming inside of a metal grate in the middle of a boat yeah. Okay. She was doing that so she wouldn't get attacked by sharks, but then she got criticized because it's labeled as assisted. Okay. Yeah. And so she didn't want that hanging over her head. So she said, screw it. And what she did was she found a shark expert. And what they did was the shark expert um, had a radar and had a sound that pinged within a certain amount of distance of the boat. So if a shark swam close to the boat this was so high pitched it, it forced the sharks to swim away okay so multiple multiple attempts i mean 35 years of attempts yeah so i don't watch it tell me what you think i just i can't even i just it it makes me like watching this i just felt speechless i just can't imagine a human being being that driven and her drive was what almost caused her not to reach her goal. It was only until she really listened to a bunch of people around her and how to do it. She didn't want to. She just wanted to do it her way, which, again, I think we can both relate to. Um, toughest person on the planet. Stand by it. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. I think Courtney DeWalter could do it. <laughs> the swim? Well, I mean, Diana Nyad could not do what Courtney DeWalter is doing and and vice versa. And it isn't the medium. It isn't the swimming or the running. It's just the level of toughness is something that I never really put together. But tell me what you think. I mean, I'm I'm genuinely open once you see it because you do need some couch time. And also, like, your daughter, I think, would like it. You know, Carrie would, you know, and Finn might like it. I mean, it's it It was really my third no. Okay. It was my 13-year-old. It was my 13-year-old who wanted to watch the movie. I didn't even know the movie was out there. So. I've um speaking of it. I've been playing we're having a what the day today was spent prior to recording this podcast was total digression, but about couch time was I had to do stuff that he likes to do today and then tomorrow he has to do stuff that I like to do. <laughs> um, so I played a bunch of arguably garbage video games today that I do not enjoy playing and just really probably made me mad. Um, not at him, but just in general, they're just frustrating. They're not my, they're not what I consider enjoyable, but I played so many, it felt like forever. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't that bad. But it, okay, you might be the toughest person on the planet for enduring the video game. Oh my god, it felt like <laughs> it was all. I mean, it's we started recording about two o'clock. I came in here. Oh, we forgot to say spoiler alert. Over. Oh yeah, <laughs> but no one's gonna Sorry. know until they like. Anyways, like. Sorry guys, we do our best. We're um, we're, we're we do our best. So so fuck it. Yeah, it felt like forever, but it it wasn't. But it's okay. Um, yeah. And then tomorrow, we're volunteering at a race and doing some running. So we'll be It'll out. Be good. 
be out tomorrow. It'll be fair trade. Um, so, and so what's what my, your what's my couch time? What's my yeah? What's, my time well, in the yeah? What are, what are you Spotlight recommending behavior? on the what to watch? So, I carrying my routine with my wife and how we spend a fair amount of time with each other um, is we'll typically the kids get squared away with their stuff. Our days are over more or less by eight, eight thirty, And we spend about an hour, hour and a half together relaxing and watching, watching TV or watching something. What we've been watching recently is welcome to Wrexham. It's about a Welsh football team. And by football team, I mean soccer. Uh, it's their, their stadium is the oldest international stadium in the world. Um, it's the race course in, in Wales. And the team was purchased by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney. And it's just kind of the story of the different players on the team about the tons of money that Rob and Ryan are sinking into this team. And really their mission statement of the purchase of the team, because it was a co-op, essentially. The, the town kind of owned the team. Um and they they went in and, and purchased the team to try and better the team to try and the team is so I'm gonna rewind here so the team is in the lowest league of English football so there's different tiers to English football and I don't know what they all are there's like whatever league they're in which is the bottom. And there's like the championship league. And eventually you're like in the premier league, right? The premier league is the top teams in all of football, right? Like if you've watched Ted Lasso, you know, they go from, I think the championship league to the premier league, right? That's like the progression. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, Cause I think that's the first season of Ted Lasso, but if you haven't seen it now, by by all means, like you're right, way yeah. behind anyways. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of, they're trying to get out of the basement and become a more competitive team. So they is also, it a is it a documentary? Yeah. Or like yeah. a reality is it a reality show or like doc, documentary? Um it's I guess it's a reality show, vice a documentary, but rea- the idea of reality show it's like reality shows are not yeah. they're, they're scripted. You mean they're sort of scripted. This is yeah, this yeah. is 100% yeah. Okay. real, right? Like it's okay. just it, it's so it's a, like a real it, life Ted Lasso. It's a series. Yeah, it's a series show. Like has Vice a um, Vice a a documentary, which is like a, a two hour thing, or even maybe a multi part series. This is a continuation series. Um, but they really go into like what this football club means to the town, like how the town like how generations have been involved in this like football team. And it's so weird for me being American and being where do like, it'd be like going to see like the worst minor league baseball team and having the whole town invested in this awful minor league baseball team. And then in this sort of like idea that there was some way to promote yourself from a minor league team to a major league team. Like that doesn't exist in any of our sports. It's it's kind right. of a weird, weird dynamic that exists in in 
in English football. Um, and it's, it's, it's like, it's like, and then you can get relegated so you can like make it up and then get knocked down back hmm. in the next year. Um, and you get different levels of advertising. It's there's, there's all sorts of different dynamics that go into it. And it's, if, if you've never understood like what, fo- why football is the way it's so big over in, this is like a real insight into what it is and what it's like and why it's so hugely popular and why there's so much invested in it by, by the people overseas in Europe. And, hmm. I'll check it out. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And Rob McElhaney and Ryan Reynolds are pretty funny guys. And so they're entertaining. Um, it's pretty well documented. Um, there's not, and there's, and there's like humanitarian side stories to it where you, you really get a feel for a lot of the different players and their families. And, um, like I said, there's certain townspeople. Um, just, it's just, it's a, it's a feel good type of type of watch even when it doesn't go their way. Cool. Yeah, so that's what, I, that's what I recommend. All right. So are we going to talk about all the controversies in the world now and all the cool things yes. that are going on in, in my favorite? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Big. Well, big controversies and another mind blow, mind blow event. Why don't you, why don't you, uh, you do the descriptor. You, you, you do the, in, the, the details. All right. So UTMB was purchased in part. What is UTMB, Sean? Is Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. Um, and why do we care about Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc? Because it is the it is the premier hundred mile racing event in Europe. It is the equivalent to what Western states is in the U.S. In Europe, it is the premier. I mean, and it's not just one event, right? UTMB is a race series. Um, and they also have several other races in Europe and in the U.S. And they're like qualifying events, yes? Essentially, they become qualifying events for for either TDS, CCC, um, or the, the, the big one, UTMB. Um, and you need to get in this case they now have running stones at one point dude so (laughs) it's like the most convoluted system to get qualifying points and running stones to enter a lottery to get picked for a race that is the like i said the, the big race um and there's, like I said, there's a bunch of different races under the UTMB umbrella. Where it becomes important is UTMB was partially purchased by Ironman. Now, Ironman is known for Ironman triathlons, um, 140-mile events, bike, swim, run. And the, and the and the half, yeah, right. yeah, half half Ironmans, which are 70 miles. Anyways, and. They have a reputation of essentially tearing apart local events. They, they meaning um, 
Iron, Iron Man. Man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was not the experience of UTMB. Uh, or like, and by that, I mean UTMB of v- B events was not capitalistic, globalistic driven. It- Nobody way. probably knew what UT regular people, you know, outside of the endurance world, probably don't know what UTMB is. But most people have heard of the Ironman triathlons, um, and and even before what you're about to talk about, Ironman has become so commercialized over the past ten years, fifteen years. Maybe I mean um, that I know that. I mean, I still think they're cool races. Anybody that's completed an Ironman, you are awesome. You are incredible. This does not dull anybody's accomplishments. It's the race organization. It's gotten so commercial, such a money-making venture, and it costs thousands and thousands of dollars to get entries. Um, Everybody's clamoring to get in. I mean, when the New York City Ironman opened up, I mean, it was thousands of dollars, and anybody could join. um, (laughs) And it filled up, I think, within minutes. Um, so, yeah, so I was a bit turned off to, to Iron Man a little before, well, actually a lot before this happened. But, yeah, keep keep going. Yeah, so that, so they, to, to look at it from the trail running community, trail running community, ultra distance running community is, like we say, it's, trail running community it's a lot of them are locally driven communities locally driven races um small local footprints that take on these huge undertakings to create these especially when you're talking about a hundred mile race right if you're talking about like a hundred mile if if you're talking about a hundred mile point to point race it's a huge undertaking yeah and and you know for those if you haven't heard the vinnie cat excuse me, Vinny Cap, a little bit of a stutter there, episode, go back and listen to that. That was, um, I don't know, five or six, five or six episodes ago. But Vinny talked in detail about how he and his wife um, put on these amazing, amazing um, trail and ultra distance events. And he, I think he did a really good job explaining how, you know, the challenges of, you know, being, you know, a local you know, mom and pop type shop putting on these races. It's a huge endeavor. It's not to not to digress, but it was probably 15 episodes ago, Megan. We've recorded. Was it okay? Yeah, yeah we, we we talk a lot. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I'm digressing. So <laughs> these these races are a, a lot of them are from local runner standpoint are like there's there's a certain love and heart that goes into them and the idea of a big capitalistic venture coming in and meaning iron man yeah being iron man swallowing up race it, 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 it wouldn't matter if it was iron man and, yeah true in any true, true. Reference. True, true. um swallowing up races uh tends to eat at the local running trail running community. Um, and so you couple that with a beloved um, race director and ultra runner himself, Gary Robbins, 
Um, Gary Robbins, for those who don't know, is he's he's an ultra runner. Is has his own slew of accomplishments, but I think he's probably most noted for uh, nearly finishing the Barkley marathons. Um, and by that, I mean, he collected all the pages, but got off trail and came back the wrong way on the last lap and was technically not a finisher. That's heartbreaking. Um, and, heartbreaking. And he's, and he's, that was like his, his big attempts. He attempted it multiple, multiple times. Yeah. Phenomenal. But he also individual. puts a lot of races. No. Yeah. He puts on a lot of races in the British Columbia area. Um, that's where he's from. He's, he's Canadian. And I think he's, I mean, I don't know Gary personally. I do know, you know, several different race directors and I do know I've met several different pro athletes. Gary's not one of them, but from all, all accounts is a very stand up guy and much loved by the community. Now, this is not solely a UTMB Ironman issue. There's also some some chicanery and some probably poor business practices by Vail Resorts. Vail Resorts is a ski conglomeration that has bought up lots of different ski mountains over the past five or ten years. Now, the idea behind it, and this is this is something I don't necessarily disagree with is that as far as that aspect of things go and why they, why they chose that model to buy up different mountains in different areas is you kind of protect yourself against a string of bad luck, bad weather where you have a bad winter in the Rockies, but you have a good winter in say the California coast or new England has a, a good winter and the South West has a bad winter or British Columbia has a great winter, whatever. Like you kind of protect yourself by having mountain assets spread across the this United States and really at this point across the world. Now, but it becomes a big business. Um, Whistler, British Columbia is a mountain. It's a huge skiing mountain, Whistler Blackcomb, and it is owned by Vail Resorts. Now, there was, originally Gary Robbins had a race in Whistler, and there's, and I'll link to it in the the show notes, there's a great post by Gary Robbins about what exactly went down. The long and short of it, without getting into too many details, is that Gary has put on a race at Whistler for several years outside of the COVID year. And after his last race there, and I think it was 2022, 2023, he got a lot of run around from Whistler about like doing different, different things to like get his permit essentially to like put on the race. Um, and he, he like went above and beyond any race director that I've ever heard of trying to get this race permit. I mean, he did an economical study about like the benefits of bringing his race into town, like down to like how many people go out to eat at restaurants. I mean, wild shit. Like 
that I think is way above and beyond. And kind of got kind of got fed some bullshit here and there. And then eventually was kind of just ghosted. And the next thing he knew is that UTMB Iron Man had come in and essentially got the permit to run a race, essentially a similar race, if not the same race, at Whistler by Vail and was granted the like the permit and, and approval to do that and essentially created a race. So basically that, just puts this local race director and incredible athlete out of business. Out of business. I mean, that's, right there. Yep. Yep. And on top of that, like he had invested so much into getting the race. Oh yeah. He's been doing it for, for years. Year. Yeah. He's, he's doing it. not a slacker. Um, and so, so all of that, being considered, it left a huge, a huge bad taste in the ultra running and trail running community's mouth. Understandably so, right? Like it is, it's not, I don't think, I think most people in the trail running and ultra running community probably tend to be more counterculture than capitalistic we're the weirdos. We're yeah. the we're the so, island of misfit toys. Yeah, we're, um, we're a different group. And when you have something come in, and not only you, and not only be of that ilk that you feel that you're kind of not a not a part of and don't want to be a part of. On top of that, and then you have it essentially steal from you as a community and on top of that you feel like you're being pushed and stomped on as a community by that and the options for outside of that become narrower and narrower because of money right um there's there's a lot of lot of pushback in the community and there's a lot of hate towards UTMP and towards Iron Man. Yeah, people are mad. I mean, understandably, it's I'm interested to see who's actually going to do the race. You know, what what group of athletes that are okay to register um and it's probably people who have done um they're probably people who've just been doing Ironmans for years, which again is fine. You know, there's nothing against that accomplishment, but you know, people who are okay with the Ironman corporation. Well, it's like one of the things is we talk about the difference between triathletes and trail runners and the differences in the communities and the difference in the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's, it is, it is vastly different. If you've ever run a, a trail race, and you've done and any triathlon. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. Like just just compare the difference in, in the people. If you've if honestly, if you've just done a bike race and you compare the difference in the trail running community mm-hmm. to a bike race. And I don't gravel races might be a little different, but I think they kind of at this point kind of still fall into that realm. Um but it's the it's the polish. There's more polish on yeah. Um, triathlons um, and in cycling races. There's, I mean, I remember being at a being at a um, being at a triathlon and just 
people just going on and on about their matching kits and their, you know, how it matches their bike and the tapes and, and tape on their bike. And there's nothing wrong with that. But like when we're running ultras, if somebody's cold, you may see them running with a garbage bag on, you know, there's the haves and haves nots is, and, and that's not so yes. prevalent in the ultra running community, though probably has become more so, which is, yeah, I think, the sure. other other aspect of this is the people that have been doing ultras for years, right? Like from when I started doing ultras, I've seen a drastic change. And from the, and I started years after like legends like Scott Jurek and, you know, Carl Meltzer and Tip Tolleson and like all those guys that started, right? Like, um, and so the change that they've seen, you know what I mean? As part of that is, is wild. But, but where this like really cuts is, is I don't, I think, and it's, I hope, so Gary's putting on essentially a, um, a battle event, right? He's putting on an event same weekend elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think his race will go. And I think this race will die. That's the immediate access or or repercussions of this event. The broader picture that becomes controversial and where it really becomes sad is, is what about the actual UTMB race? What about Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc? Like, where do people stand on that? And how do you, how do you, with, so it's so and this is personal to me because UTMB has been a goal race of mine outside of Western States, which was accomplished and I got to run. UTMB has been a goal race of mine and an experience of mine that I've wanted to have. And I've and personally I've really battled with this because I still want to do the race and I'm st- still As of right now, I'm still going to put my name in the lottery with the running stones that I have and see see what happens. Um, And that might not be a popular popular position to have at this point. It's an honest one. And I think that there's people that probably feel the same way that I do that may or may not say that. I think... It's disgusting what Ironman and UTMB have done to Gary Robinson to his race, and maybe to the culture as a whole. But I don't know if I'm willing to die on that hill just yet to like not support that UTMB race, as far as UTMB as a whole. Now I don't know. And I, I battled with this. I don't know. I, I've looked at, I said, well, what if I did, what if I did like a, a, a multi-day tour of like circumventing essentially the UTMB course? Cause there, that exists. Right. And I've thought about that. And I, and, and part of me is like, that would be cool. But at the same time, I know 
it wouldn't be the same level of challenge as trying to fit it all in one day. And well, I guess technically UTMB is, is typically closer to 48 hours for most people, but it fitted in, in, in that time frame and pushed has a straight push all the way through. Um, and being part of the pomp and circumstance that exists for that. And that's, that's, that's part of it. And anyone to say that, like, that's not, I think, is either lying to themselves or denying an aspect of what we do as trail runners. Yeah, I think um, just see how this plays out. Keep your keep your name in the hat for qualifying and figure out what's going on. And if your conscience does not align with, you know, should you get in? Um, if your conscience doesn't align with the direction of the race or the organization as a whole, just decide then. But I'd say put your name in because who knows? This may play out in a different manner. We just don't know. We, and we don't. And I, Maybe there's enough backlash that it doesn't. Dude, and it's it's wild. Um, I mean, on top of that, I have I have two runners that I coach that that's their one of them. It's their sole dream race. Like, like mm-hmm. I had Western States like that. It was was a was the huge deal to me. UTMB was a, is a big deal to me. But like this, is, I mean, he's he's originally from that area and he's like, I want to go back and race that. And that's a huge yeah. deal to him. Um, um this, do you know what, exists. do you know what my like dream races? Like, you know, if my body heals, if I'm able to continue racing ultras, do you know what mine is? I it, bet you it, do. It. Um, no, bad water, the bad water oh, okay, 135. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have dreams about that race. I think that race it's just the coolest race on the planet. Yeah, yeah, that's, but really what I'm trying to do is I was thinking about that in context. Like if Chris Kostman made some sketchy decisions, which I don't think he would, he seems to be a pretty stand up straight and narrow kind of guy. I mean, I don't know him personally, but at least on how he's run the Badwater series of races, but I'm trying to imagine if Chris Kostman did something like UTMB did, what, whether that race, you know, 135 miles across the desert, um, and up Mount Whitney, if you know, if you're, if you're going to do that too, um, Only how that now. would, yeah, but no, I mean, I, if, if I ever get there, I would go the whole way. That's what I would, that's, that's, that's the, that's the full dream, but how and why is that, that important, would change Why would going, why would going from the start of the race up to the top of Mount Whitney, why is that such an amazing thing? Because it's there. Well, it's because it's the lowest place in the U.S. to the highest point in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. And it's just to go. But, yeah, that's what I mean. Just why would you climb that mountain? Because it's there. When you go halfway up. I mean, again, anybody who completes Badwater 135 miles, if you go halfway up Mount Whitney, my God, I'm going to be jealous of your buckle. I'm going to be jealous of all your swag, your accomplishment. Still makes my mind just, you know, so big and so happy. But it's just that much cooler if you can climb Mount Whitney. But a couple years, um, they have not been able to. You know, so they they had various permit issues and they weren't able. You know, runners weren't able to do that. So um, it's not always an option. But yeah, I'm trying to think how I would feel about that if that race organization did that. So, but I do believe my advice, you know, and my thoughts would would be the same. 
keep your name in, see how it plays out. And, you know, if you can, if you can stomach it and you're okay with, you know, the direction that these races are going, just do it. If you're not walk away. It's, it's fucking heartbreaking, Meg. I don't, I know. I don't even like, I I don't like to think about the fact that like, I was like, we like, I want to bring this up on the podcast because, because I think there's other, other athletes. I'm sure by that, I mean, I'm sure there's other athletes that are wrestle with this in their, their head and they're not alone. And I think that's important for them to know that they're, they're not alone and that there's, I don't think it, I don't think it makes you a bad person if you want to fucking run UTMB. And to say, to tell you the truth, like, so Clark Zeeland is the race director for Grindstone and Grindstone was recently purchased by UTMB. Um, I went and paced and crewed at Grindstone this year and it was drastically different than when I had run it the year before. Um, the course was different. A lot of the other things were different. I don't necessarily think it was worse or better, just different. Clark is still involved in it, at least as the race director for, I think, the next three years. Um, and Clark is Clark. He's a stand up dude. He's a good guy. I don't think he's a dirtbag for selling his race to UTMB or to Ironman. Like, it's just. It's, it's a different level of agreement than you were talking about yeah, with he, um with Whistler. Well, well and that's and the thing is, is what happened to Gary Robbins was dirty. Like, yeah. That's um, that's that's so that's what you're gonna have to see how this whole debacle plays out. Yeah. Yeah. That being yeah. said, it sounds like there's a, a, a better shot of getting into UTMB this year because there's going to be less people putting it for the lottery, at least openly putting it for the lottery. <laughs> but but it's comparable to it's comparable to the death race. Like that race is not run anymore. And if our is friend not. is it oh, really? Are you, are you talking about which? Are you talking about Georgia death race? Or are you talking about? No, I'm race? talking about I'm talking about Andy Andy our friend Andy Weinberg yeah, it's, it's, in the it's, Endurance it's, Society. Yeah, it's about it's brought back. Yeah. Okay, but see, for me, that race doesn't exist anymore because Andy's not a part of it. And what Andy Weinberg and the Endurance Society do, Andy is phenomenal at no matter how popular his races get, especially Infinitus and that race, you know, that race series. He's he's your friend. You know, he will, you know, you, you need a jacket. He's going to find somebody that can lend you a jacket. You know, somebody finds out that you're struggling out on the course and you need company. It's, it's, you told me when I started running the endurance society races that you said, Meg, these people are going to become your family. And I was like, what? And, you know, however many years ago it was when I did this first 72 hour race. Um, and, and you were right. You were right. Like that, that community feels like, feels like my family. And that's, if you haven't experienced that in, in, in a race or in an endurance event, that's what we're concerned about losing is that sense of community. When a community is taken over by, by a corporation, can that community still exist? Yeah. You know, that, don't it, know. It, that it, you're 100%. Um, Right. And that it's right. We, we, like I said, we, 
we talked about it, trail running community, ultra running community. Um, and when you lose that, because I don't think, you don't hear the words triathlon community. You know, the only time I felt a triathlon community was when I, when I lived in Connecticut, there's a series of local weekly races that are run, um, well, actually they're bi-weekly. So, you know, one race would be, you know, here, the other was a trail race on a Wednesday, whatever. Um, I would do those races and that's how I learned to do triathlons because it was so small that people were helping each other. Like, oh, this is how you set up your gear. This is, you know, make sure you have your shoes like this, you know. But but again, those were local, like fun run type events, much different than when I actually started racing, you know, full triathlons. So, yeah. And I, and I think that's right. That's, that's a big fear is that we lose that. Um, yeah. I, I hope we don't, I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but ultra, ultra running has become way more popular and mainstream than it ever has before. I mean, the fact that like we could talk about the number of ultra running podcasts in the past is like there was like four and now shit, there's got to be fucking 30 or 40 of them. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah. I mean, we're just throwing yeah. the mix of that. Um, so I have to ask you before we close, you have to update us on Harvey Lewis and his accomplishment um, his recent recent accomplishment, because this is another mind explosion moment. Yeah. So, so Harvey Lewis. I didn't. I never knew who Harvey Lewis was. Um, I was. I've been. I've been following him for a while because I think. Oh God! I heard him on a podcast five years ago, ten years ago. We've we've established how bad I am with time, but I heard him on a podcast when he was. Um, just getting his name out there. So, yeah. So, Harvey, dude. How do I explain? So, I've I, I've only met Harvey one time, but the way I met him was he was attempting an FKT on the Appalachian Trail after the Scott. Fastest Church. known time. Yep. Yep. After Scott had just said it. Um. And. He's a very accomplished long distance runner is the easiest way to say it. But I didn't at the time he was doing his FKT attempt. I didn't know who he was. Dr. Josh, our friend Josh White and I were out on a run and he was like, oh, so and so is out doing an FKT. Um, maybe we like he's like he's like he's mm-hmm. somewhere in the area. And I, we had gone out in this, like, in the Killington area, there's the, the Long Trail and the AT are together and then split um, pretty much right there. After you go up over Killington Peak and you come down to um, Shelburne Gap, essentially right after that, they split. Um, the long trail is the trail, the continuous trail that goes from the border of Vermont 
to the border of Canada, 300 something miles. Lots of attempts have been made on that, setting FKTs, the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine, the Katahdin. Anyways, and there's been a lot of documented cases of FKTs being attempted on that. Scott Jurek's was one of the most notable. Um, Carl Meltzer's in the ultra running world is probably after that. Joe McCotney is probably the probably the most underrated thing is that he did it unsupported, whereas like Scott's was the most publicized. It's still it doesn't matter. Fucking amazing. But anyways, Harvey Lewis was <laughs> attempting to do this. We were out running just a long run. Me and Josh came across some people doing some stuff like and then all of a sudden this guy just very unassuming looking guy comes like hiking quickly in the other direction and Josh and I are running and we're probably 12 miles into about a 16 mile run. And he looks, he, he stops for a second. He's like, Hey, you guys out? And we're like, yeah, we're out running, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, do you mind running with me for a while? And Josh knew who he was. Like, he's like, Oh man, how's it going Harvey? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and I had no idea who it was. I was like, okay. I was like, I was like, yeah, let's go. Like, how far do you want us <laughs> to go? And so we we took them from essentially from Shelburne Gap, um, where the AT crosses, back to where it, it bypasses from the trail back down to essentially to get to the Shelburne Gap. It kind of kind of does a um, a U on Route Four. Took them about maybe about three miles back up over Deer Leap. And um, just hiking with him, talking to him, fucking good guy. Just just being like a little piece of history. And that's how I, I was introduced to Harvey Lewis. And then there was a small and our doctor doc- And our Dr. Josh White podcast was, what, a year ago? Yeah, at least. Something like that. So check, check if you haven't heard that podcast, check that out. Josh is, Josh is a cool guy. Um, and there was like a documentary on Harvey Lewis. So he's like a Cincinnati school teacher. Runs to school every day, runs home from school every day. That's like the bulk of his training. He's just, he's a normal dude that does legit extraordinary things. Um, And so he is known for being very successful in long distance timed events, long distance um, events where it's very, it's very much about perseverance and um, like getting the job done. Like he's he's been on the U.S. Uh, U.S. World or U.S.A. World Distance Ultra mm-hmm. Team, whatever, however that, whatever that actual. Yeah, I follow that. Is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he just set the world record for big backyard ultra. Now, what is that? Well, that is a race that uh, Lazarus Lake best known for the Barkley marathons that we mentioned earlier in, in this podcast. Um, if you're not familiar with the Barkley marathons, um, the documentary, um, the race that eats your young, yep. isn't that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, it, watch it. Young. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely watch that. Um, so he has done very well in that race over the past several years. This year he set the world record by running what is known as 108 yards 
for 108 hours. So a yard is, I think, like 4.16 miles or something like that. And it takes an hour. You have an hour to do it. So you have an hour to run 4.16 miles. During the daytime, it's a trail loop. At night, it becomes a road. I think, I think it's an out and back out of one location. And a group of people start, and they run until there's only one person left. However long that takes. So it's like a last person standing deal. Exactly. And so it goes for as long as there's two people going. So you need at least one other person to run for you to continue running if you were running for distance. So the race progresses, people drop out. Anyways, the the long and short of it is Harvey ran 450 I think it's like 460, right? If you if you do the math, 108 hours um and set the the world record it, it's like four and a half days of fucking running every 460 hour 460 miles 460 miles non-stop right. essentially every every four miles out of pop mm-hmm. for four and a half days yeah it's again that's also hard to wrap my head around no no sleep Right. Like or minimal sleep. Um, yeah, because not, there's not a lot of time. I mean, because if if you run fast, OK, then you may have a little time to, you know, get cleaned up in between in between four ish mile laps. But once you get tired, there's no wiggle room. Yeah. You just and, you just got to keep going. And Ihor varies if I'm saying that correctly. I might be mangling it from Ukraine was essentially. First loser, second place, but. In order to do anything big in that, you need someone to be able to continue to run with you. So mm-hmm. to get a great record like that, you have to have that second place person being able to push the entire time. So it's like it's it's not just about how phenomenal necessarily an athlete Harvey Lewis is and like how should, and what, like, a mild-mannered, like, humble guy this guy is anyways. But a fucking killer. It's also about what a killer fucking Ihor varies is, like, to, like, be able to continue to push. To, like, it's not just one person pushing. Just one person pushing a little further. And by that, that mm-hmm. five miles further, it's, it's fucking, it's, it's so wild. And Harvey's not young. He's no spring chicken. Um, I think I want to, he's, I think he's in his forties. Uh, they're just fucking amazing. I, I, I do believe that it does take a certain level of maturity to run or and not just run to engage in those kind of endurance events. I mean, even, you know, circling back to like, you know, Diana Nyad swimming from Cuba to Florida, there has to be a certain level of maturity. And again, it doesn't, Somebody could reach that level of maturity in their 20s. I certainly didn't. But 
to be able to sit with the physical discomfort, but more so in these endurance events, I feel like it's so mental. It's so emotional. And the mental and the physical fatigue, um, you have to be able to sit with it. You have to be able to be okay with not being okay. I, I didn't get that. I didn't get that um, in my 20s. Yeah, it, I don't, dude, I've run, I've run a lot of races. He, and it, it blows my mind. Like, and I don't, to clarify, in order to do, if you do a 24 hour, if you just were to do it 24 hours, you run essentially in order to do 24 hours, you would run over a hundred miles in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're running a sub 2400 miler mm-hmm. back to back to Four back days. to back. Yeah. Plus a 50 miler. Yeah. And I've, I've covered that distance for 24 hours for like timed events. I can't even, I, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't, I, 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 I can't. I have, I've run I mean, I've run for that length of time, more or less, right? Like Cocodona. Mm-hmm. But Cocodona was 255 miles. Right. To be able to do almost double that, it's right. It's it's such an amazing feat of human will and strength. Yep. And the fact that there was two guys that could do it. It's fucking yeah. wild. Pushing pushing each other. Yeah. yeah, I would I would love to be a fly on the wall. Like, were they talking? Did they help each other? Were they arguing? You know, that type of stuff, I suppose we'll never really know. But that's that's the drama that like a, a documentary on that on that effort would have been really cool. Um, but both of them incredible athletes. Oh, I think they were working together. They, like, oh, yeah? yeah. Good. I mean, I think I think as a general rule, from my understanding, and I have not not been out there for for um, big for bigs but is that there's a level of camaraderie and uh like teamwork that goes into to getting it i think everyone there has to be everyone wants everyone to do their best and you need someone else to push you to do your best and that's the thing about these endurance events. I don't, I mean, you can have solo efforts. I'm not saying that, but you need to have a solid support crew, a solid family, solid group of friends. You need to have this level of support in order to get these kind of things done. It's not a one-person show. Um, Look at how you tied I, that all the way back around. I know. Yeah, go me. Go me. Maybe we are professionals. How many podcasts do we have to record till we are professionals? I don't know. Till we can retire from our real jobs. Uh, okay, we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> but definitely cool. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it. it I mean, fucking it. It really does. It blows my. I like think about it pretty regularly, and I. I can't wrap my, I can't wrap my head around it. No. Like we fucking, people talk about like how fucking tough David Goggins is. 
fucking I would I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Let's let's go, big guy. Yeah. We had a lot to talk about today. Dude, fucking A right. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's what happens um, when we don't have a guest on. Right, yeah, you and I you and I can go on for hours. So Hey, I have a song for today. Holy shit. Kind of pre- you, you prepared a song for today? I did. I did. I don't frequently get to get to prepare songs, but I have to I'm gonna promo an upcoming podcast because it explains why I picked the song I picked. So I believe in a couple podcasts down the down the road. Um Coach Sam is coming on and we're doing our favorite albums. Okay. Favorite favorite albums of of all time. So I've really been diving deep into some albums because there's songs I love, but sometimes it, the whole album it doesn't doesn't click. There's a lot of dynamics to make an incredible album. And I was digging into Joni Mitchell because arguably, you know, Blue is an incredible album. It's not on my list, um, not because I don't think it's an incredible album, but just because I have other ones that I picked. And so I was digging through Joni Mitchell catalog and I heard, and I think I hadn't heard this song in a long time. I heard her 1969 song Woodstock and her voice is so incredible. I just, and it's one of those songs, you know, when you love a song so much that like if I were listening to this song with you and you tried to talk, I would be like, shh, 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 don't listen. Listen to what she does with her voice. Listen to the transition. Listen to the transition transition, if I can say it. You know, that just the whole thing is so raw. And to think she was how young she was. Um, this I just think it's a beautiful song. It's classic. Um Brandy Carlisle has recently covered it. She did Joni Mitchell's album Blue and you know covered the whole album which again that that's a that's an amazing feat in itself. Um but Joni Mitchell's Woodstock 1969 classic. Absolute classic and I kind of discovered it well, rediscovered it. I mean I've heard this song a zillion times but just questioning my album choices and you know what I have in mind might change <laughs> might change Whoa. in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I know. We, I know. I think I, I do have one change. I do have one change. But bear with me. It'll just expand your music horizons. So anyway, so we'll give Joni Mitchell's Woodstock a listen and and yeah. Yeah. Until uh until next time, my friend. All right. I will talk to you later, Meg. Catch you later, Sean.
one, go. Sean, we need to talk to people and take a few minutes because we need something. We need our listeners to follow our podcast. Can you, since you're our tech, tech expert, I go to you all, that sounds, all right, I'm going to say this again. <laughs> I was going to try to let it go. Okay. Okay, technotronic. <laughs> pump up the jam, pump it up. Right. Speaking of being technotronic and pumping up the jam, Sean, we need our listeners to follow our podcast. You are our resident tech expert. Could you please describe what you need people to do? How do we do this? How do you how do you follow a podcast? Well, it depends on what format you're on. But on most formats, there's usually a three-dot circle or some other indication, and there will pop a dropout, drop down from that um, three-dot circle. And in that drop down, we'll give you the option to follow the podcast. You can also, in whatever app you're using, Go to your settings and set to notify, and you can be notified of any new podcast you're following, especially ours, which is the most important. Absolutely. And that'll show up that show up on your phone all the time, man. You'll have more notifications. Boom. And you'll get one from us every two weeks. Because why, Megan? We post every two weeks. That's what we do. That's what we do. The when our listeners follow our podcast, it really helps with our ratings and it helps how we appear um, when people are searching for podcasts. So please, as a favor to us, me and Sean, Sean and me, please. Also, if you're so inclined and you really like us and you want to leave us the best review ever, that does wonders. But what we really need you to do is follow. The review stuff is just sprinkles, sprinkles on a Sunday. Right, Sean? Sprinkles on a Sunday. What about the cherry? What counts as the cherry? Okay, the cherry would be if you want to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. So just look up Zendurance now. You can like us, follow us, comment, message us. And you can always check out our website, which is zendurancenow.com. All right, awesome. Hope to see thanks, you there. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for, the, thanks for the tech advice. <laughs>